0: where each week Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget the bug spray as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis.
1: This is Monsteropolis. <laughs> This is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Seth Breedlove. Joined, as always, by my pal, Mark Matsky.
2: Hello there. I think this is going to be more of a therapy session than an actual episode.
1: Yeah, I just don't... So, you might not know this about me, but years ago, Uh, I bought and sold Wii's for a living for a little while. Nintendo Wii's. I did not not know this. (laughs) That might sound like (laughs) Wii's,
2: <laughs> wheeze. wheeze
1: yeah. Um, it was at a strange point in my life, and hmm. a buddy and I would drive all over the country buy Nintendo Wii's and then resell them at a at a markup. Hmm. And I now think that this is karma. Oh, this is like payback for those days.
2: Why would people get rid of their Wii's? Where they Going up you to a different you, no, you couldn't find them.
1: Oh, okay. It was like when the Nintendo Wii first came I out. I see. Do you okay. Yeah. Remember those days? You yeah. couldn't find them anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we're going through something way worse with PS Five. Like it's impossible to find. Yeah. And uh, and so for I guess I didn't realize that, and I was just like, I'm gonna upgrade. So I would asked for Christmas just for like gift cards, so I could <laughs> buy, so I could <laughs> buy myself a PS Five. Yeah, and, this is crazy. Yeah, and they they told me. When I went so so I get the gift cards, we go out for dinner one night and there's a GameStop next door. I go in the GameStop and I'm like, Do you guys have a PS five? First of all, the Wadsworth GameStop and this show is aired on Wadsworth Radio. The Wadsworth GameStar is trash. <laughs> like absolute GameStop Wadsworth, just total trash. Um Matt the manager is just a not good human being. <laughs> um and it if I <laughs> i'm i'm not to put too fine a point on it i would highly recommend everybody shop elsewhere but um scorched earth but anyway the the just a you know they told me when i went in they were like you're not gonna get one of these until no i'm sorry it was more like you're not gonna get one of these until like spring so stop asking wow like that kind of thing wow um So just not a great experience there. But uh, I was shocked to find out that I won't be getting a GameStop until spring. And I thought they were exaggerating because this was like end of December. Mm -hmm. Um, I should say everyone else I've ever dealt with at the Wadsworth GameStop was great. (laughs) (laughs) So so maybe don't. You walk that back slightly? I'll walk that back a little bit. Not totally trash? Not totally trash. Okay. Um, Just the, yeah. Anyway, it was like just a... (laughs) So I was shocked that they're saying this and now it's coming up on April. I mean, we're at the beginning of March and I'm not any closer than I was in December to having one of these things. So, um, but what just happened before we went live was Mark and I br- took a break in between. We're in the midst of our epic uh, uh, UFO literature two-parter <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> took a break for a second, went out into the other room, discovered that there were PS fives available on GameStop Tried to enter my gift cards and found out there's a limit of two gift cards online. So
2: uh, just, I have never heard of this before. What, what, what do you think the reasoning is behind something like be that?
1: Maybe There might be some sort of scam that you can pull off hmm. of that. I don't know. You know, I and mean, like, that's
2: money that has been spent. Yeah. It's been given to GameStop already. Yeah. It's already, I don't, I don't understand.
1: Bizarre. Um, but no GameStop or no, uh, no PS5 in my possession.
2: The Wii was Andy's first big system.
1: Mm-hmm. I like, might have sold it too.
2: We, we might have, yeah. <laughs> we like stumbled into a shipment after Christmas, mm-hmm. like a couple of days after at some Walmart. So yeah. we bought one and just so, loved it. It was like played bowling all day, I, I think, the first day. I
1: remember when I got it, it was like a, it was like a return to those innocent kind of games because I had like gotten on to like Call of Duty kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, and those like Mario and like just fun, yeah. fun games. Um, now I just want to go back to call of duty and <laughs> right. on the new PS5. <laughs> uh,
2: no, honestly, Make I'm a GameStop character that you can <laughs> execute.
1: No, i never, d- don't never would do that. That's wrong. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, anyway, I'm in a great mood. I'm real excited to talk more about UFO books. Um, I was going to do some follow-up research in the interim between these two episodes of like oh. 20 minutes uh, where I was going to look up to see if that updated version of Somewhere in the Skies had oh, the, sort of a, a modern perspective on things or, or an updated perspective. The whole tic-tac appendix? Yeah, yeah, tic-tac, 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 tic appendix. Appendix. Appendices. <laughs> Help. <laughs> um to, uh, I'm just totally distracted now though. So frustrating. Oh, oh, that is sad. Um, uh, so anyway, the, <laughs> the guy on the phone that I talked to was very nice, said I, I should come back, uh, <laughs> come back, Seth, come back to the store. We and, want you back. And you're not good. He
2: said, did he not say mm-hmm. that you shouldn't even look for it in the store? Mm hmm. Like they're being, they're only available online only for the available. foreseeable future.
1: Yeah,
2: what happened with that? Is it just demand? So it's is a, that a processor
1: shortage? Okay, is what I read online. I some see sort of like circuit board. Yeah, okay. Shortage. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't play video games enough to be like distraught over this. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say it is my favorite way to like clear my head, like, um. Cause I get in, in these ruts where all I can do when I'm supposed to be relaxing is focus on work or like, mm. I can't get my mind off of business stuff, like work, you know, creative stuff or whatever. Um, get video games are like one of the ways I manage to clear my, my my brain, clear my, my brain's cleared.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, and so I'm disappointed about that, but it's fine. It's whatever. There's worse p- problems to have. Yeah. So. so you've
2: reached acceptance in six minutes and fifty three seconds. By the end of the time,
1: <laughs> I'll be back to grief or whatever. I'll be back to. I'll be back to denial. Be <laughs> anger. Yeah. Be the anger. I'll throw the 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 camera across the room. I'll call the GameStop and tell them right, what I just right. said on this yeah. show. I'll probably have to delete that. Yeah. Aaron, cut that part out. All right. GameStop That's is great. great. I love the wadsworth gamestop um actually aaron just beep every time i say the word gamestop oh there you go yeah
2: no one will figure that out and no one's gonna know what i'm
1: <laughs> talking about okay uh we're so we're back so we did last week we did part one of our our uh ufo book uh episode this was supposed to be a wonner. i should have known that would not be the case
2: yeah i don't it's it exceeded all expectations let's put it that way
1: yeah Why don't you start us off this week? Because I'm going to be talking way less than this episode.
2: All right. Well, I think we'll start. This is an area we did not go anywhere near last week, and that is Area 51. You see how I did that? Sorry, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) It is. uh, Actually, the book is much better than that. Um, It's simply entitled Dreamland by Mm -hmm. Phil Patton and it is a history history and a cultural history of area 51 and i just it takes me back to a time that was kind of exciting and very interesting which is to say the early 90s you know when you had that that crossover between all of the bob lazar stuff coming out and art bell on coast to coast am pumping up area 51 big time and then the x files and it's just like this confluence of all of those things together. And this book sort of is a document of all of that. And it's really, really well done. It's, it's until fairly recently, you could walk into any library and pretty much expect to find that on the shelf. Cause it was, I think it's been through a number of printings, but I, I don't really have much more to say about it than that, that it's just an entertaining read. It walks you through Groom Lake, and Area 51 and all of the stuff that had, was being reported at the time, you know, the the airplanes flying in there every day out of Las Vegas.
1: Janet Airlines. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was just a fun time. It was just like a before Area 51 became the most famous secret base, you know, there's that little sliver of just wonderment at mm-hmm. what's out there. And Dreamland captures that pretty well.
1: That's a cool point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, we've, I think we've talked about it before, but I remember watching something with Bob Lazar on my grandma's TV in the living room at her house. And I was probably bored out of my mind and wanted to do something else. But I remember distinctly watching Bob Lazar on my grandma's TV. Mm. And like, that was a very, yeah, it was a very specific point where you can remember. And, and it wasn't about secret government craft or whatever. It was like, there's UFOs at area 51. Right and UFO meant alien to a kid, so that's what I I just remember that, and that's a that would be a cool movie. There's a movie Mm -hmm. there, kind of like Super Eight style.
2: Yeah, for sure. And that you know is that sense of predictability almost like you if you got to go out there, there there's a sense that you would almost you were almost guaranteed Mm -hmm. to see something flying around if you knew where to go.
1: People were like. People, and I think they still do, see stuff in the skies out there that you don't immediately recognize. Mm-hmm. We know now that's probably because they're just experimenting with experimental craft. But, mm. yeah, that was a, a very specific moment in history. I'm going to go I'm gonna go with one. I've, I've got more here. I don't know what happened. I, I have a list. Hold on. Let me make sure I've gone over all these. Okay, silent invasion. That was one I wanted to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm bringing that up. Excellent. Excellent. Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot casebook. And um, that was kind of where I was going to go after Bob Teet's book was t- to Stan Gordon and silent invasion. Cause the two have similarities, definitely bear some similarities to one another in the fact that they're both kind of casebooks. They have not just um, printed material, but there's, there's um, illustrations mm-hmm. and photos as well. And certainly silent invasion is in that same camp, but um, silent invasion also has all sorts of, Um, you know, uh, accounts besides UFOs, but it has the infamous uh, 1973 Bigfoot wave. We've got the, the, the really in-depth look at at the George Kowalczyk. Yes. George Kowalczyk encounter, which is probably the most well known in the book. I would say that's become sort of the, Mm -hmm. the most famous piece of the, of silent invasion. But um you know, Stan made his name by looking into, I mean, in my opinion, anyway, sort of made a name for himself by being one of the Kexburg guys. Like you saw him in all the, anytime there was a documentary about Kecksburg, Stan was in it. And then he made his own Kexburg documentary. Mm-hmm. But I find his work just looking into various cases around the state of Pennsylvania um, as, as seen in books like Silent Invasion and uh, what is it, really weird that's
2: really, like, mysterious, really Pennsylvania. mysterious Pennsylvania. Yeah.
1: These these those are the things that I I really uh love from Stan and and respect uh the most because it's this is all work that he's done. This is all stuff that he's invested uh a great deal of his life looking into and it's also a, a glimpse into who Stan Gordon really is as a person. Um but Silent Invasion is is Really a, a, a fantastic introduction to the Chestnut Ridge and uh, Invasion on Chestnut Ridge is basically a a, a homage to, to Silent Invasion, which is why it has the name it does.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and if you liked Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, I know a lot of people love Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, but never went beyond that pick up the book silent invasion because that takes you way deeper. And and there's stories in there that are, are much weirder and more bizarre than anything we got into in, in invasion on chestnut Ridge. So, um, and I'm sure you have something to say about silent invasion. <laughs> you are correct.
2: I'll just go from the UFO angle. A careful reading of silent invasion. will just leave you like your jaw dropped because of the, the vast variety of craft or objects that are described—I mean, I don't think any two are similar mm-hmm. across all of the the um, reports that he's received—and you have just have uh, you know all colors, shapes, and sizes of things flying. If these reports are to be believed, have been sighted over the Chestnut Ridge. You know everything from your classic metallic saucers to Christmas ornament shaped objects and like boxcar, just um, rectangular things flying through the air that don't seem to have any yeah, reason to be airborne. Yeah. Flying yeah. The iPad, the in, iPad the in the sky. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, tiny, tiny UFOs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a really great book and it, and it is, it's so much more than just UFOs, but just as a case book, it's so fascinating to go through you can go through any of them he's got astonishing encounters and then there's multiple really mysterious Pennsylvania books as well and they all collect you know a lot of a lot of strange anomalous encounters Pennsylvania is a weird state it's like West Virginia they they get overlooked in the lore of ufology i don't know why ufology focuses so heavily on the, the southwest other than like Roswell and i guess that is where sort of the the most famous you know, locations mm-hmm. tied to ufology are, but um I just think it's strange to me that Pennsylvania and, and West Virginia don't get quite as much play when it comes to the subject of UFOs. But Silent Invasion, great, great book.
2: Yeah. It up. A, a striking thing too, if you decide to read it, which I hope you will, is that you'll see the degree to which Stan sort of inconvenienced his life in order to do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, because for a long time, it was a call in hotline. That was the major way that people got in touch with him, which he writes about. And it's meant that like for years of his life, years of his family's life, the phone would ring at all hours. And uh, I don't think he would pick it up every time, but you know, um, he eventually got to the point where like the state police would can would get a call about something weird and they would call him. And I just, I love that. I don't know if that still happens today. If there's a uh, go to people that police or law enforcement turn to when they get something weird passed down to them. But at least during the time where Stan was super active, that well, was I
1: that there isn't because if you think about it, that point in time, we've talked about this on the show before, but that point in time, there was frequent, there were frequent articles written about the weirdness going on. Mm hmm. And that doesn't take place anymore. Newspapers don't cover strange and unusual stories on an ongoing basis. Right. You you get a hit, hit here and there, like the Canton Repository doing that massive story on, on the Trail of Hauntings, mm-hmm. but you don't see the level of reporting taking place anymore relating to strange subjects, right? Like UFO sightings or Bigfoot sightings.
2: And the it, little local blurbs, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. Not so much anymore, especially since so many local papers are now corporate owned mm-hmm. and are just AP stories just being rehashed. Yeah,
1: and the shocking thing to me about that was realizing that, like, I guess USA Today essentially owns something like seventy or eighty percent of the newspapers now in Ohio. Phew. It's like one yeah. corporation controls all that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Um, but I think the reason that plays a role in it is the the police just. I mean, I'm sure this doesn't hold true across the board, but i'm I'm assuming that police don't know who to pass that mm-hmm. on to anymore because every story that does show up is probably about a different personality or someone in the area mm-hmm. you know, or a documentary film crew yeah, so and they're not going to pass that on to to us right they wanna pass that on to someone who could help or or actually would mm-hmm. be legitimate. Stan was and is a legitimate investigator. And, and if you pass something to him, you know, it'll be looked into. Yeah. And that's not, I don't think that's holds true anymore. Mm -hmm.
2: All right. Well, let's see. I have on this list, I want to make sure to talk about a book by Mark O'Connell called The Close Encounters Man. This is a biography of J. Allen Hynek. And it's one that in the early days of Monsteropolis, when we were going through UFO topics pretty heavily, I relied on that book a lot to talk about Hynek's life and it's really extremely well done. It takes you through his whole life and in particular his professional career in astronomy and his ties to um, his academic life, which importantly included Ohio state university. And then uh, that was a major jumping off point for him to project blue book and so forth. And then, um, know his transition to, you know, following the the evidence and realizing, you know, his his real role versus what his stated role was on uh, various governmental uh, boards and panels and things of that nature, and then finally, sort of his, it, it, sort of embracing his elder statesman status as someone with, you know, really high academic bona fide qualities to his work but who was open to uh there's something to this phenomenon even though he had been you know he got really um linked to the whole swamp gas incident i mean that's his that was his statement and it was uh, taken the, the media took that and ran with it but he i think at the towards the end of his life was just very much open minded towards the entire subject because you know in his careful study he always had that percentage of cases that couldn't be misidentified and were either a, a personal perception of the person having the experience or or something actually flying through the air that wouldn't usually. So it, I love it because it really brings his character to life and sort of shows you the the person behind the persona. It's really well done. Hmm. Every so often I have found... That cycles through the um, ebook discount rack, so you can pick that up for fairly inexpensive.
1: Yeah, Mark is like the king of book shoppers. By the way, for, <laughs> for those unaware, you should do a whole episode at some point where you just tell people how to find. How to, yeah, yeah. Trying to find my other book here. Okay. Um, so I want to talk about all these somewhere. Um, Linda Zimmerman was in. There's one in that. Yeah, I've got two here. Okay. But uh Linda Zimmerman was in on the trail of UFOs. She's a um investigator in uh the Hudson Valley. We interviewed her in a town called Goshen, which no joke. I am really hoping that someday I can take you to Goshen because uh there's a breakfast place there that'll <laughs> blow your mind. <laughs> this place is like ten feet wide by ten feet tall. I mean oh. it's like so cramped. But um
2: is that where Jason got the? No. Okay. The, the strawberry topping. Oh, that
1: was in Illinois, and that wasn't. Oh, that
2: was yeah. That okay. Was no, okay. This
1: place is amazing. Okay. It's seriously, the best breakfast I've ever had. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, Linda's work is awesome, and this is one of those cases where I looked up Linda because of her work, not um. You know, and and a lot of times when we're putting together a series, especially something as intensive as on the trail of UFOs, where we we needed authorities from all over the country, um, a lot of the time I was already familiar with the people and just kind of pulled in people whose work I respect and things like that. But Linda's a case where I had become familiar with her work because of my interest in the Hudson Valley. Mm -hmm. And then because I was so into what I was reading of hers, I knew I had to get her involved um, in the series. Um, also worth mentioning, I left the second N off the end of her name and she was not happy about that fact. So I've heard her trash the, the series elsewhere, but that's fine. She's awesome. And she's a, uh, fantastic investigator and, and really love the work that she's done in the Hudson Valley. And by the way, I've talked before about just the Hudson Valley in general. I love the Hudson Valley. Um, and I want to do more work there just cause I really like that area. Um, it Kinder must hook? be a
2: Zimmerman thing. Zimmerman? Yeah, my, my college roommate was Zimmerman, and he, two M's, two N's, yeah. is how he would yeah. say that she's, to people.
1: Now, do you mean M before, at the men, or M in?
2: Yeah, two M's at the front and two N's at the back. Yeah,
1: yeah. I left the second <laughs> N off and then noticed she wasn't thrilled about that Aww. later on social media. But anyway, she her, her work's awesome, and she's done a, a bunch of books on... Um, the Hudson Valley, uh, the Hudson Valley triangle UFO flap that we've talked about Mm -hmm. on this show before, um, as well as just uh, abduction stories, all sorts of really cool stuff. She's also, when we met her, she was actually doing a talk at a library about haunted objects. So is that where you interviewed her? Yeah. yeah, We we interviewed her at that library too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, she's, she's very um, knowledgeable about a lot of different subjects, but uh, I mean, the back of this says um, mysterious airships in the early 1900s, decades of Project Blue Book cases, startling evidence to support the Hudson Valley being abduction alley, numerous eyewitness accounts of craft shaped like massive triangles, discs, cylinders, and rectangles. And for those that aren't familiar or don't know much about the Hudson Valley, I mean, just like it's a, a at one time for like 11 years, it was a um, hotbed of of very... Uh, continuous, just continuous UFO activity. And in particular of, of giant triangular craft. And um, it's one of my favorite pieces of ufology. And, and I should say too, the, the two books here um, in the night sky and uh, Hudson Valley UFOs. And then there's one called like more Hudson Valley UFOs. That was the one I was trying to find, mm-hmm. or it might just be called Hudson Valley <laughs> UFOs volume two. These are case books. So I'm noticing a, a, a pattern here. Uh huh. Um, I would say in the night sky is less of just sort of cases rattled off. Um, but Hudson Valley UFOs is definitely that one of my favorite things about it is um, they do go into a lot of the history, the historical mm-hmm. sightings. So you just start with the airships and that kind of thing and then move forward to, to present day um, and just to all sorts of sightings and and really detailed stuff. And Linda has had her own Experiences, which unfortunately didn't make it into the series, but are super interesting, and uh, I'm hoping we do we could do something with those down the road in case files or something. You can make a whole season of case files just with like stuff that got cut out of on the trail of UFOs. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely re- recommend Linda Zimmerman's work.
2: Does she reference any Kinderhook UFO sightings in her writing, or she might? Yeah, I I'm,
1: I can't recall any to mine. Again, this was in 2019 when I read this one. In the Night Sky was the first one I read. Yeah, um, and I bought these because of our trip to Sleepy Hollow before oh, yeah. before the um, uh, on our way to to Lauren's uh, International Cryptozoology mm-hmm. Museum Conference, um, and I I've always loved the idea of the Hudson Valley, and I hadn't really spent much time there, um, but that trip really got me. Thinking how much I would like to do something in the Hudson Valley, and so and I've talked before. I'd love to do a movie or something about the Hudson Valley mm-hmm. info flaps. So, um, and a lot of that is spurred on by by her work. So uh, there probably is Kinderhook related yeah, stuff in there.
2: I just Kinderhook on the brain. Mm-hmm. Understandable. <laughs> Let's see. We'll go to um, in the in the general region. Is a story entitled "Incident at Exeter." by john g fuller Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a uh, fairly short paperback it's not a you know it's a your typical dime store paperback but it was written with not long after the exeter events took place and interestingly john g fuller is the same author who wrote the first uh, barney and betty hill book um i forget the name of it interrupted or something like that
1: it's yeah, it's, inter- it's uh, Interrupted is in it. Mm-hmm. It's a tra- travel interrupt. Yeah, I
2: don't know. I forget. Yeah, I know what you're talking but about. But it's Fuller. He wrote both of those, which I find fascinating. because I, I never realized that until preparing for this, that he's responsible for both. I don't know anything else about Fuller as far as his background or his interest. If he's just an author who thought this was an exciting topic, because yeah. that, that was a big industry at the time. Um, Incident at Exeter just tells straightforwardly the story of what happened, the young man who had the sighting. Of course, the Exeter story is made more compelling or plausible based on the fact that there was local law enforcement pulled into the story and had their own sightings, uh, repeat sightings in one evening of uh, largely red-lighted craft. And so um, I just like that because it's, Again, it's a local story, although it it became very well-known for a time. Exeter was uh, referenced a lot in UFO literature, in part because it's Eastern Seaboard-esque. And there was um, something you said before I thought was very interesting about the Southwest United States being a hotbed of UFO thought and reporting. And that's partially... um, due to the fact that there's numerous military bases there. Yes, yeah. Well, in the case of Exeter, there's also a military base. Uh, we just typically don't think of those as being anywhere else but the the Great Desert West. Mm-hmm. But fact is, there's military bases all around the United States. And I think the it's you can demonstrate that there's typically UFO sightings in those same areas and locations, or at least UFO bases are called by people who have sightings. Um, I think imploring them to be investigated.
1: Um, I ha- I, I'm i going to leave this one off, but I want to mention, I this is not on my list. And the reason is I have it on, on my list, but I'm leaving it off. My, it's hard to explain. There's a book called alien flatwoods monster, just as a book that has a piece of the flatwoods monster story that no one talks about. I would highly recommend this book. It also kind of goes against what I talked about earlier with, like, the the upside to, like, Ryan Sprague's book. This is written for, like, a certain type of intellectual Okay. that, that I cannot attain, intellectualism that I cannot <laughs> attain. Um, but there's a very – it's called Alien Flatwoods, Monsters. It's written by a guy named Paul Sagan. And I've talked about this. I don't know if I've talked about it on Monsteropolis, but it, it's a book that has – uh, a witness story of someone who claims uh, Paul Sagan claims to have been in Flatwoods the night that the Flatwoods monster landed on top of the hill and says that him and his family experienced uh, their car breaking down, seeing a strange object or a light in the sky, uh, their car breaking down and then smelling an odor uh, while they were broken down. They would have been at the bottom of the hill is right where they broke down. Um, and then he kind of uses that to jump off into um looking at some of the weightier uh, topics connected with the, the UFO subject. Um, The tagline is when the singularity of intelligent machines meets the evolution of extrasolar biology, biology. Wow. Yeah. Um, So
2: implying that the Flatwoods monster was
1: that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and well, like I said, he uses it as a jumping off point. The book doesn't, Spend a ton of time okay. on the Flatwoods Monster at all. It's more of a, yeah, it's just like bigger. a foot in the door to mm. talk about bigger topics. You, maybe you read it. and Tell me what you think. <laughs> I, I didn't even understand half the words in the mm-hmm. book. Um, I'm going to talk about a comic book called Saucer Country uh, by Ryan Ke- Kelly, written by Paul Cornell. Paul Cornell, uh, back in the day, wrote a really cool run of action comics with Superman. Uh, and I uh, got to talk to Paul Cornell years ago. And, um, Ryan Kelly is one of my favorite comic book artists. Uh, he wrote a book called local that I love. Um, but saucer country is a, it wasn't, I think, I think they called it an ongoing, I don't know if they have another name or a label that they, that they put on series that are kind of like, they have an, a beginning and an end, but they're way longer than, you know, the typical like 12 issues Mm -hmm. that you run into with like a maxi series. This is way bigger than that. It was Hmm. ran like 24 issues or something like that. Um, but it gets into all sorts of lore connected to ufology men in black are explored. And and it is very, they clearly did their research on UFOs. And I believe, I think Ryan actually interviewed Cornell on somewhere in the skies Hmm. back in the day. Might've been Ryan Kelly that he interviewed, but either way, um, they publish these in graphic novels. Obviously, this is fiction, um, but it is definitely drawing off of real aspects of the UFO subject. And um, it's a series I kind of forgot about until recently, and I was looking through my graphic novel collection, and I saw these in there, and I was like, I should talk about these on the show hmm. this time. And when this came up, that was the re- one of the reasons I jumped at the yeah. opportunity to do this show was because of Saucer Country. Um, published by Vertigo, so it was you Know under a, a fairly well known uh imprint, mm-hmm. um, and you can still find these on Amazon, you know, volume by volume in trade paperback. Um, but really highly recommend them. Uh, they I remember when I was reading them at the time, I thought these are political but not obnoxiously political. Mm-hmm. Um, today they would probably not even seem political, okay, com- compared to right, you know, some of the other stuff out there. So, yeah. um but I can't. I really can't recommend this series enough. It's hmm. a, a really fun read, and it, and like I said, it's clear that these guys did their research on on UFOs and the UFO topic. Hmm. Some of the stuff that was written about in this book has come true. So is what's funny because this was fictional. It's probably ten years old, maybe even older now. Um, but some of the acceptance, the greater acceptance of UFOs, I think that is hinted at in the book is is kind of taking place. So, really recommend it. That sounds good. Yeah, it's good stuff.
2: Yeah. Let's see. Um, we mentioned Jacques Vallée before. Mm-hmm. I feel like we should talk a little bit about Vallée's book, Messengers of Deception. But actually, I think Vallée was so influential that you have to give a little bit of a breakdown about the the development of Vallée's thought. Um, because he went through sort of a progression uh, in his original ideas I think to, to start things off, Belay was, um, you know, French born or American, um, intellectual type, but where he ended up was very much close to Kiel's ideas about, uh, right. Like a, a force behind everything. He just had a much different way of expressing that and, um, the two of them are often paired with one another as an example of the same thing i think keel probably wouldn't care Valet would probably resist that sort of explanation but to to really bottom line it you know he's perhaps best known for the book uh, passport to magonia that was his third book and i found it, it as interesting you know that magonia is latin for magic land so that sort of gives you a sense of where he's coming from, where that is sort of Kiel-esque in the sense that um, there's some order behind the scenes shaping human consciousness. And even like pre-UFO manifestations of this would have included Marian apparitions, um, the airship flaps that we've talked about.
1: Yeah, he spends a lot of time on folklore yeah, in, right. in that book. i right. got that book somewhere, yeah. I don't know where it is.
2: And so he's sort of setting the stage for this idea uh, expressed in his much more you know intellectually geared way than Kiel for example where Keel's just like saying hey this is what I think um, but valet is making that argument and in that was in 1969 in 1975 he writes this book called the Invisible College where he, you know, he sticks with that idea, but he says that um, he considers the sort of Magonia realm, if you will, a control system. And by that, he means it interacts with humans, um, essentially cooperating with their perception to show them these absurd phenomena that defy all reason for the purpose, uh, you know, apparently, of regulating What humans can perceive. And um, by that, I think he's in part trying to describe why waves of sightings happen or why there are flaps or window areas is something we got into recently. What Valet would suggest is that the phenomena itself is regulating it. So if there's one area where it's not happening enough, it will appear in those areas to sort of bring the sighting counts up for whatever reason. He never really gets into what the reason for that would be or how that's changing or shaping consciousness, just that it might. And then that takes a much more conspiratorial direction in 1979 with Messengers of Deception, which is my favorite one because it is so conspiratorial and... Um, nefarious I guess where Magonia yeah, what is, was what is more he, positing he is can he that's a great question what he's positing is that there are uh, shadowy human groups that are employing some way of uh, he calls it psychotronic psychotronic um, means of projecting those same sort of images that Magonia does but for their own, plots their own reasons that are never clearly stated in the text just that there's a a shadowy group of them who has learned how to um, project very similar images and they're doing so and he even implies that there has been some cooperation between these groups and the supernatural forces themselves so they're working in collusion with one another Um, I mean it begs many many questions but it's it also he you know it's not just like shooting a hologram at people or things like that but he also means that like this group of humans working behind the scenes has access to military media government circles and have infiltrated the leading ufo groups Mm -hmm. so your nightcaps your mufons like they have their plants in those groups in order to advance whatever agenda they may tend to have. So it's, it's um, melding together these streams of conspiracy theory with some of his ideas about that very much mesh with the super spectrum from Kiel to say that essentially humanity has no chance (laughs) when it comes to managing their own perceptions, that it's hopelessly manipulated beyond what we can even Control, did, which is
1: kind how, of how? Like, how did they manipulate?
2: Well, through the media, through access to military and government messaging, mm-hmm. um, the psychotronic technology okay. could be like projecting images into the sky. So all or, these
1: things are real, right? Y- like, yeah, we yeah. know, like to some extent, that there is that. I mean, he gave it another name, mm-hmm. but psychotronic. Yeah, interesting.
2: Or, or not even that they're projecting it, but they can make you see it using whatever you know, uh, sonic, something. Um, you know, just manipulating your your brain or your perception to make you see what they want to see.
1: Now, Valé is still around, mm-hmm. and was recently involved in the that that movie that came out a couple of years ago. I can't remember what it was called, the UFO abduction movie, Witness. Um, his focus has become very much on the people impacted by the, the topic and less about the topic itself mm-hmm. from from everything I've been told. But see, my my valet knowledge ends with Passport to Magonia. Yeah. I own like three or four other books, haven't read them yet. Mm-hmm. So, and and my plan is when I, we get out of Dark Sky, I'll probably get into some mm-hmm. of that stuff. This blind, I don't think by any means this is a comprehensive list, um, but these are The books that we've read that we respond to the most, I think, is probably what we're Mm -hmm. looking at here. Um, There's a lot of other books that we've read. One I thought of is that we did a whole episode about that UFO uh, abduction story in the forest. Do you remember that story?
2: Oh, yeah. There's a whole book. Right. The guy who had to fight off the robotic.
1: There's all sorts of books like that that I've read over the years that I kind of, like, forget about. Like, I was just... Really quickly skimming through my Kindle library while we were talking Mm -hmm. see what I've forgotten. There's all sorts of stuff in there that I've forgotten about. Yeah, that's a fantastic one. Yeah.
2: Really Um, weird stuff going on in that.
1: Back in the day, I looked at Fire in the Sky, and I did Mm -hmm. not mention that on the show. Mm -hmm. Do you have any more you want to like really quickly run through?
2: Yeah, I'll just name drop a couple. One is um, Earthlight's Revelation by Paul Devereaux, which goes in the direction of looking at this as perhaps naturally occurring electromagnetic phenomena earthquake lights and things like that you know and when we when we did our stuff on earth lights and spook lights that was a book that I got specifically because I found it it was one of those books where you start looking into a subject and it's referenced everywhere mm-hmm. I thought why not just go get that one so yeah. I did and it's it's really interesting really well done it's got a you know, big sections on ball lightning and all these things, and it's a very um, uh, naturalistic material explanation or, or attempted an explanation for orbs and spook lights and all that stuff. It's really, really well done. And then uh, another classic. And I guess I'll I'll end on this one. No, I won't. Uh, the day after Roswell. Yeah. Colonel Philip Corso. I've read that one. At the time yeah. and still today is just a great read. You know, uh, it's, it's one of these books where you're taking somebody's word for it. They feel they're, they've reached a point in their life where they have little to lose. So they're going to tell you what their experience was allegedly. And he does that in a compelling way. So, you know, I, I still remember reading that and, um, there's a section in there about, I think he was guard, he or somebody under his command was guarding a facility where a alien body was said to be, um, was being stored i think it was him Mm -hmm. and how he wanted to go look at it or something like that i just is like an impression that i have but good reading and then um the Andreessen affair which is almost certainly in my experience the most out there abduction account um where betty Andreessen, you know is uh has numerous experiences with Aliens and God and all this stuff in one big package. And written by Raymond Fowler, um, Jalen Allen Hynek wrote the foreword. It was really, really popular in the late 70s, early 80s. And you don't hear about it so much anymore. And I think that's probably because of the religious element to her story. But she was, uh, by all accounts, a devout Christian who was trying to grapple with this experience that she had through sort of the lens that she interpreted reality so super interesting read is that it that's it okay that's my whole card
1: that's two episodes about UFO books so you have a lot of reading to do <laughs> listeners um we'll be back next week um if you're watching this and you're not a squad member make sure you join the squad we will be doing production diaries for uh for uh, the How of the ruguru um so So be on the lookout for those to start dropping soon. Um, On the Trail of Hauntings, episode three is out. On the Trail of Hauntings, episode three, production diaries, I'm being told is well over an hour. Um, And there's probably going to be multiple of those. So uh, be on the lookout for those to hit. I wish I could turn the camera right now because Aaron's (laughs) standing in the kitchen looking at me. Um, All right, I think that does it. Uh, Aaron, don't forget to... Mute, censor me saying GameStop repeatedly at the beginning of the show. All right, thanks thanks for listening, uh, listeners. We'll, we'll see you next week. All right. Monsteropolis
0: is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.